this time on Past Deadline. This week's news in 60 seconds, a feature highlight, and a conversation with staff reporter Stephanie Kennard and one of her sources for her story about the house on High Street. I'm your host, podcast editor Ben Ackley, and this is Past Deadline, your behind-the-scenes look at Central Michigan life. Here's this week's news in 60 seconds. The new Popeye's Louisiana Chicken hopes to be open as soon as next week. The new location resides on the corner of North Mission and East High Street. The location is still hiring, and they hope to be open as soon as November 19th or 20th, about a week from the release of this recording. Mount Pleasant officials have recently turned their eyes towards buildings on Broadway Street and University Avenue for redevelopment. On September 17th, the city released a request for qualifications. Sort of like a want ad, an RFQ is a request to developers to reimagine the buildings. Current plans involve returning the Broadway Street building to its original facade and adding a rooftop patio on the University Avenue building. City planner Jacob Kane predicts construction could begin by mid to late 2021. Recently, CMU has become one of the first universities in Michigan to take part in the Adobe Creative Campus program. This program allows students to have full access to Adobe products on their own personal devices, not just school devices. In addition to this, the Charles V. Park Library plans to open a creative lounge. This would be a space where students would have access to computers, recording equipment, and staff trained in Adobe applications. The lounge is scheduled to become available to students in the fall of 2021. Before we move on to today's interview, here's a quick features highlight. In the early 1900s, a woman named Emma Norman Todd attended Central Michigan Normal School, the school that would eventually become CMU. Todd was a simple farmer and an active church member. She was also the wife of a runaway slave and the first known African-American student at CMU. Dive deeper into that story on our website, cm-life.com. Up next, we talk to staff reporter Stephanie Kennert and one of her sources regarding her recent story, The House on High Street. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with staff reporter Stephanie Kennard, and we're going to talk a little bit about her cover story that she wrote a little while ago about the house on High Street. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. So we have a guest to bring on in a second here, but before we get to that, uh, you and I are just going to talk a little bit about your story, sort of your process on writing it, and just a little behind the scenes. Um, so first of all, I was talking to you about this before, and I found this really interesting. You worked on this story from an interview that we had over the summer that you didn't conduct. What was that like, working with an interview that you didn't do? Yeah, so Isaac Ritchie, who is the editor-in-chief, he had done an interview with Dave and Susan, who are the new homeowners of the house, um, over the summer. And uh, around September, he had brought the interview to my attention, and... We kind of listened to it together and he just told me he wanted me to take on the project and kind of do some research and also try to contact past uh, residents of the home and do interviews and stuff with them. So it was a little bumpy at first trying to take over, you know, someone else's interview and figure out kind of the information between the two of us. Uh, but after that, it was really interesting. It was really fun. All the research and stuff I conducted myself and interviewed past residents and stuff. It was really fun. All right. That's awesome. So for the people who haven't read it yet, 
which I assume we'll go read it after listening to this. Can you just give us a little rundown on what your story was about? Absolutely. So um, the house is 114 years old and it's over on High Street. And it was originally the second and third presidents of CMU uh, that lived in the house and took it over in 1906. And after that, it was um, passed down to the Shirtliff family who lived there up until recently uh, when the two parents passed away of the home. And after that, Dave and Susan purchased the home and they are planning a rejuvenation project of uh, taking over the house. And uh, they'll talk some more about all that, but it's really cool what's going on there. And like I said, it's 114 years old. There's a lot of history, a lot of memories in that home. So speaking of the history, what would you say the most interesting thing you learned in working on the story was? Yeah, so um, when I was conducting the interviews and kind of talking to people about the history, I talked to uh, Brian Whitledge, uh, and he helped me go through all of the, the um, past editions of like different newspapers and the history from the university, what they had. And we found a lot of uh, disparities and some things we had found published in books and then what we had found in newspapers. So we really had to like dig deep and go all in for the research and compare different things. And one thing that we found that was really interesting that uh, so in a lot of the book publishings that they had published, it had said that the home was built in 1901. But we ended up figuring out that there was actually a fire that was set to the house in 1901 and the home had completely burned down. So uh, the second president, President Gron, had actually rebuilt the home itself and had not moved in until 1906. There's a big disparity there that was miscommunicated for a lot of time. Yeah, um, I, I actually I work at the Clark Historical Library with Brian. Um, and he is a true fount of knowledge on anything CMU related. Um, yes, absolutely. So what was your favorite part of writing this story? My favorite part, hands down, was talking to Carla Jemison, who had lived in the home her entire life. She grew up there. She, um, her family moved in when she was four, and it was in the mid-60s. So she has a lot of history in the home. Um, and hearing her stories, we had talked on the phone uh, for over two hours. And just hearing her story, she literally took apart every single room in that home and told me, you know, every memory she had there, every little nook and cranny um, about her crawling underneath the window seat and finding the original wallpaper underneath, uh, underneath there of the home. There is just so many cool details that she broke apart. That's awesome. So you met Carla. Um, were there any other interesting people you met while researching and writing this story? Um, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, like I said, I did a lot of the research. So I talked to a lot of historians and things like that. And then I talked to Carla, who is a previous resident. But what's really cool about the home is not just the history, but moving forward and looking at what's going to be done with the house and the rejuvenation project. And Dave and Susan are the ones who are really bringing the home back to life and, um, finding a way to, to bring that 114 years of history back to the community that hasn't been there in a while. Yeah, and you talk about the restoration and rejuvenation, and you talk about Dave and Susan. And here with us today, we have one of the homeowners, Susan Sikalka. Susan, thank you so much for being with us. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. 
Of course. So so what we're going to do here next is I'm I'm hosting here, you know, I'm I'm talking to Stephanie. I'm doing my thing. But Stephanie, she's really in the trenches on this story. She knows what's going on. So we're going to have sort of Stephanie and Susan go back and forth. I'll come in with a question or two when I feel like it, but this is really going to be kind of uh, an interview between them going more in depth on what they wrote about in the story. So take yeah. it away. So Susan, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you found this home? What made you decide to move to the Mount Pleasant area? Well, um, it's kind of complicated, but it boils down to uh, my father lives about 40 miles from here. And uh, as he ages, we were really determined, my husband and I, that we were going to move closer to be near my dad. Um, so that was part of it. Uh, part of it was I graduated from that school down the road. I graduated from Alma College in 1981. So this is my part of the state. So it's, it's long been a hope of mine that we would get back to somewhere in central Michigan. Um, so anticipating that, I started trolling Zillow and looking at all sorts of communities. And I wanted to know how, how houses were built in different towns, because every town has its own style, uh, what pricing was like, all that. And when I would find a really cool old house, I would save it and I would you know, show it to my husband after a while. Well, when I came up with this one, um, I yelled at Dave to race over and look at the pictures right now. <laughs> so right from the beginning, we were really taken with this house. And uh, we kept looking, but we kept coming back to this house. And it, we hadn't made an offer on it. We hadn't toured the house, but we started talking about it as our own and started talking about how we would use the different spaces and what we would like to see happen and ultimately, we kind of felt like there was no choice left. This was our home. And the Shirtliff family was willing to wait for us while we worked out some pretty complicated uh, mortgage arrangements uh, because of the age of the house. Um, and we just love it. That's so wonderful. So what was it that initiated that interest in the home? What really drew you to it compared to the other things you had looked at? would have to be the woodwork um, in most houses, because um, uh, Dave and I have always loved old houses. In most houses, at some point, people try to modernize the appearance and they paint over the woodwork. Or some houses we looked at in Des Moines, Iowa, where we most recently lived, people had actually taken the woodwork out. So to see these pictures where there's an inlaid floor in the living room in front of the fireplace, there's a very grand staircase that isn't grand just to the second floor, which would be the norm. It's grand all the way to the top of the house. Um, wide woodwork, hard floors, and, and that window seat that you heard about, um, they're just... It, it was just so beautiful. And, and even though it was clear that the house needed a considerable amount of work, you could see what she was supposed to be. And we became determined that we would, we would help her find herself. <laughs> and yes, we, we talk about the house as if she's a person. <laughs> I love that. Is there a certain part of the home's history that's really stood out to you at all? Well, once we started learning the history, clearly the fact that uh, Professor Gron 
built this as his private home. And it's very clear that the first floor is designed for grand entertaining. There's a very wide hallway in the center of the house that's as big as a room. So there are pocket doors you can move between different places. And then when we found out that Dr. Warner came behind him and it was, um, you know, two presidents in a row, um, that was pretty astounding. And then kind of the, the capstone was there had only been four owners in over a hundred years. That, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting during my research too, because the Shirtliff family had it for so long. Uh, but uh, so I think after hearing all about the history, people are interested to know what are your plans with it? What do you, what do you got in store for the rejuvenation process? <laughs> uh, well, we have a long list. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a multifaceted answer. So there are really two parallel tracks. One is what are we going to do uh, structurally with the house? So I'll start with that one. So um, as is true for houses of this age, the plaster has started to go bad. So bit by bit, room by room, we'll have to be replacing uh, the wall surfaces. The house, um, parts of it had been rewired. We are having to finish the rewiring. Um, we had to have a new water line run. That was not expected. Um, yeah, we're gonna try to um, take care of the, the little bit of woodwork that's painted. We're gonna try to get that sanded down and, and taken care of. Um, we've done a couple of things that, um, one thing you can see from the outside. The first thing we asked for was to have a powder room put on the first floor of the house because we intend to do a great deal of entertaining because that's what the house was designed for. Um, and there was a little powder room by the back door in the stairway or a full bath upstairs. So out of the back parlor, we've carved a handicapped accessible bathroom. It's not quite enough inches to claim that it's ADA compliant, but it's really, really close. So we'll have a, a powder room on the first floor. On the outside of the house by the kitchen, you can see that we took the two-story porch off. That's being replaced. Um, it had actually rotted and started to pull away from the house. So the, the first floor of it is mostly rebuilt. And you can see that there's a room. That's because the pantry of the kitchen actually sat on that porch. So what you see is the new pantry. Um, next spring, the upstairs part of that porch will be replaced. And it won't look like we have a door that just walks out of the second floor into the air. Uh, so those are those are the big things. Um, we're getting a new furnace. I mean, it's just a long series of infrastructure things. When we first got here and were working out in the yard, people would would walk by and they'd go very very slowly, and their eyes would get really big, and they'd say, "Did you buy this house?" I mean, these, they sounded like they were six years old. Did you buy this house? Yes, we did. Are you living in it? Yes, we are. Are you going to paint it someday? <laughs> it does need to be repainted, but we got to take care of infrastructure stuff first. So that's really kind of the, the uh, maintenance rejuvenation stuff at this point. 
Um, the how are we going to use the house? We actually have several ideas. So one is to make it available to the president's office at CMU, the development office, um, so that they can use a historic location that's important to the university for dinners or whatever. So that'll be one possibility. Um, when I met with Isaac Ritchie last summer, I explained to him that I had contacted, I think, eight different academic departments about opening this project to students for research projects, um, you know, even out to landscaping, if they were interested in that. We have some of the very early landscaping maps for the property. So, we hope to make it available to different departments um, if they come up with projects where this could be a useful tool. Um, I mentioned before we started recording that my husband and I are both uh, parish clergy. And although I'm now semi-retired, um, we plan to be offering uh, Bible study in our home, um, fellowship dinners. Uh, so, you know, people say, oh, are you gonna have a bed and breakfast? Well. Maybe. Um, we have lots and lots of clergy friends across the country that just need a quiet place to put their feet up. Maybe we will be that quiet place. I don't know. But the house is designed for welcoming people, and we really want to be able to do that. So that Absolutely. was a very answer to your short question. No, that was perfect. I was curious because there are so many rooms in the house, what you were planning to do with them. Um, have you heard back from any of those departments that you reached out to about any interest? Um, it was quite a while ago that I contacted them. It was pre-COVID and I did hear back from several. Some of them were people who actually live in this neighborhood and so they drive by the house all the time or they walk their dogs and they were just so excited that someone was going to be there and it was not going to be carved up into apartments. Um, <laughs> so there was that. I uh, had a couple of people uh, express some real interest in having uh, juniors or seniors that needed some kind of capstone uh, project to be able to do research. Um, but boy, once we hit COVID, that all was off the table. And so um, th those, those offers are still out there. I plan to contact all those departments again and just remind them that um, if we figure out a way to safely do it, we'd still be happy to offer our house to their work. Absolutely. And with COVID, has there been any roadblocks that you've hit construction-wise? <laughs> yes. So um, <laughs> that is kind of a funny question. Um, the one in particular that we had trouble with specifically because of COVID was trying to get the new water line. So all of the inspectors had pointed out that we had lousy water pressure. And that was true. And um, little black things would fall out of the faucet. And um, yeah, uh, we, we learned that if you, if you flushed the toilet, you needed to plan 15 minutes for the tank to fill. So, so, um, we needed a new water heater when the guy, when the plumber came and they were working on that, um, our contractor had him go ahead and cut open a pipe to really get a good look. And it was a one and a half, half inch pipe. We had one quarter inch clearance. They're just, it was so corroded and full of junk that 
there, there was no going forward until that line could be replaced. So from the middle of the east side of the house all the way out to the street had to be replaced. Well, the city had limitations on where their workers could go and they increased the amount of paperwork that had to be filed for every project. So the poor excavator was ready and or thought he was ready and he went to get his paperwork and found out there was a whole lot more paperwork. So we arrived June 3rd, the truck with our stuff came June 10 and the water line I don't believe was laid until July 7. So uh, we lived with my father and we drove back and forth and we had lots of bottled water. <laughs> <laughs> you found ways to make it work then. Everything about this move has been uh, an exercise in adaptation. Hmm. I have a quick question, actually. Sure. And this, this sort of speaks to just the, the nature of this overall. And I think a lot of people are probably wondering this at this point. Um, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> what, you know, you, you've done this before, as, as it says in the article, you've, you've rejuvenated houses like this. Um, and Why? You know, you could go move into a brand new house. You could build a house if you wanted to. Why go and do this? I gave a lot of thought to that. I was pretty sure that question would come up. Um, Dave and I have always loved old houses for whatever reason. And it occurred to me um, this morning that my very first favorite book was called The Little House. And it's still in print. <laughs> it's been in print for like 75 years, but it's still in print. And the storyline of that is that um, a man builds a lovely little house and his family is raised there. And um, the city grows up around the house and the house falls into disrepair. And the house is very sad because nobody seems to love the little house anymore. And so someone um, walking down the street notices the little house sandwiched in between skyscrapers and purchases the house and moves it out into the country and fixes it up and brings his own family to live in the house. I still have that book and it's very frayed and the spine is broken and I realized I have always, always, always loved old houses and really felt like there's a life in the house. Um, in moving to come here, I went through, oh, so many files and boxes and things. Just, you know, does this really need to go to Michigan with us? And I found a poem that I had typed up in sixth grade. So that would have been about 1969, old manual typewriter. We had to do a report on poems, and I found a poem by Kipling called The House with Nobody in It. And I commend that to you, that you can research that and look it up. But it talks about the saddest thing to see is a house with nobody in it, and that a new house can never have the stories that an old house has. And those, those two things in particular just really kind of express my love of old houses. So yeah, we could have bought a new house. We could have had a house just like this built, um, but it wouldn't have had the stories like Stephanie found, and it wouldn't have the importance to the community that 
has been obviously clear since since we started hiring inspectors to come check the house before we bought it. Um, this house is important to this community, and we we want to save this house. Um, my years in ministry, a lot of times you plant seeds and you have no idea what's ever going to happen. And sometimes those seeds don't come to fruition for decades. I, I hear now from grown-ups that I had in confirmation class about things that I said when they were in eighth grade that somehow captured their imagination. Um, and I think that the work on a house is kind of like planting those seeds. Dave and I talk about working on this for 10 years to complete the work. And we don't really know if we'll get it all done but we'll be able to see the fruits of our labors. And that's kind of exciting that we, we can see. I mean, I painted half of the parlor and I was jumping up and down because I changed something in the house. <laughs> Honestly, that feels like a pretty natural uh, place for us to stop, I'd say. Unless you had anything else, Stephanie? No, that's good with me. Okay, so um, truly, yeah, just a, a very, you seem to have everything put together. You seem to be knowing what you're doing. And I'm very, very excited, as I'm sure we all are, to see what happens to this house on High Street. Thank you very much. Look forward for to joining. showing you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for joining us, Susan. Thank you for joining us, Stephanie. Um, I'm going to head to the outro now. And that's another episode of Past Deadline. You've been listening to Past Deadline, a production of the CM Life Podcast Division. Every story referenced in this episode can be found at our website, cm-life.com. To keep up with us, follow us on social media at Central Michigan Life on Instagram, at CM Life on Twitter, or like and follow the Central Michigan Life Facebook page. I've been your host, podcast editor Ben Ackley, and this has been Past Deadline. Until next week, so long and stay informed.